0: Jim Joyce, happy Wednesday! Happy Wednesday, my friend. How's it going? How's it? What's the uh, what's the buzz? The
1: the buzz is the garage door that you can see over there, right? I'm um, uh, <laughs> back, back to where this all started when the you know the bad word hit last April March, right? Uh, in U.S. So, it's back full here, circle,
0: it's, Randy. full circle. Full <laughs> circle.
1: It is just uh, just for the summer. Um, going to settle in here a bit. Yeah, And the amazing part is I landed here Friday, Saturday, I already had an appointment for uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and the the crazy part is that they were already in the CVS, they're winding down, they're winding I'm, down, they're taking down stations already, right? So um, I guess to the extent that everybody who wanted to be vaccinated, basically has gotten there, right? Minus the age group so it's kind of crazy man but uh happy but to be they're there not so, they're not soliciting
0: people to kind of i heard that i thought they'd be kind of trying to promote it and trying to make it almost easier and make it more drop. Yeah, in. no
1: i mean again I'm, I'm to be honest i'm not watching it i think there are many campaigns yeah. going on but in general right, right the droves of people uh that they we're right. expecting so um yeah, so we went to a couple. But, you know, one other thing on that, um, the fact that I'm here, now the, the daytime drinking on Wednesday starts again. So that's uh, <laughs> just... <laughs> my pee, that. my um, yeah. What else? I, uh, You know, a bittersweet. Uh, my cheating on you with another podcast uh, yep. has officially ended. The limited series has ended. And, um, you know, I there's just so many more... People that I have not spoken to around right. the digital therapeutics topic. So, uh, decided, you know, spoke to our friends at Health Excel and decided that we'll continue these conversations live at their DTX community. So, slash DTX people. Check it awesome. out, join members.
0: I heard, I heard, um, I listened to the last one with Brian Dolan. I thought it was great. And Jess Damasa came in. I thought that,
1: yeah, was, that's right. You
0: know, coming in. So, I thought that was excellent. I really enjoyed it. He's a little, Like he's so practical, Brian Dolan isn't he? He's just so just like boom, 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 just practical.
1: Straight to the point.
0: Yeah, I'm a little more optimistic. Maybe you know <laughs> that we're, that it's gonna break through. <laughs> but I'm a little more optimistic. You know,
1: <laughs> you know, I I'm 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 optimistic, and we'll bring in our next guest. Actually, we'll talk a little bit because then uh, um, I'll. But anyway, I'm optimistic. But I I do agree with him that I don't see you know I don't know yeah. like a random five billion mass drug right. Um, I I just don't see that for a DTF right
0: just as you're bringing in our guests. So I have a little, like, you know, we don't do commercials that much, you know, but for health. Yeah. Beacon, so we, you know, as you know, health beacon, we uh, manage people on injectable medications. And, and one of the, one of the big issues is that in, um, in the U S something like 7 billion uh, injections get thrown or sharps get thrown into household trash every year, um, creating a big sustainability environmental yep. issue. So we've teamed up with this um, with a number of organizations, kind of you know, kind of uh, and joined a nonprofit called Alliance to Zero. So we might just put it in the show notes, and we're teaming yeah. up with really big companies like uh, like Yipsimed and um, and Sharps and, and a number of other. So we're one of the founding members. So just a little awesome. Alliance to Zero call
1: out. No, I mean I think today we started off with you know pimping the podcast, um, then Help Excel. <laughs> um, you know I. I, I don't have anything to report on <laughs> your coach because we, we our waiting list is actually pretty pretty good at the moment. But if you're listening, join the waiting list if you're a progressive <laughs> employer. So that's it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Um the the commercial messaging is done. Let's get our awesome uh so we're gonna let in Mr. Keith Grimes into the room. Hello. Hey. Oh man, I'm jealous of your hair too, Keith. <laughs> hey, 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 Keith. Uh,
2: hi, hi, uh, Jim. Is it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jim. Uh, so you to... guys haven't met on like through Health Excel or something, because all the roads lead to either Health 2.0, Health Excel. I don't know.
0: I've definitely met your kind of aura, Keith. You know your 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 reputation that precedes you.
2: Well, <laughs> nice say, yeah, I mean, I've done a fair few Health Excel things. In fact, funnily enough, earlier on today. Uh, there's an event coming up talking about uh, primary care uh, that I'm not able to attend, but, uh, but they've really stepped up the amount of events they're doing at the moment. And uh, they're, always, they're always very I, high. I always come away with an awful lot more than I brought in, which is great. So. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> I, I think the hashtag is their non-events kind of thing. Yeah, or oh, something well, like yeah, that. Yeah. But we'll check with Marty. They're, you know, they're not your typical. They're not not a webinar, even though. Well, not your
2: no. Then like I wouldn't say non-event because that makes it sound like they're not good. No, uh, they're, <laughs> they're kind of. Yeah, they're, they're not your typical event. Yeah, they kind of, you an know they're.
0: Unevent and unevent.
2: <laughs> yeah, unevent would be better. Yeah. So, uh, so Keith, but it, but... You know, before
1: we go into your introduction to our millions of viewers and listeners, um, it sparked my. We we had Chris Hagen, uh last week, and Martin de Braber um, oh, yeah, yeah. sort of commented, right, and that kind of just sparked that uh, you and I met because of Martin, uh, actually in good old Amsterdam. In Vondel Park, I remember this. And you were one of those, I guess must have been like almost 10 years ago or eight years ago, something like that. One of those like August... <laughs> What is it? What's August 25th,
2: 2014 was the tweet that I put out. And it was it was actually Manish juneja uh that oh, said, that's... Oh my good. He was like, My good friend, my good friend Eugen lives in uh, in Amsterdam. So it was courtesy of Manish, but yes, I did see Martin Van Braber as well because uh that was a kind of fast follow they said oh this person was also it. very interesting yeah
1: okay okay so we should celebrate our anniversary on august 25th this year we'll we'll do that but <laughs> done every year but,
2: since every year i just
1: i just remember uh and again i do want to listen i just remember the one statement you made as a i would say a progressive gp right um is i think at the time was the basis watch right so one that's of the, right. yeah, I, yeah. I thought one of the more advanced watches at the time, and I remember the use case you used is for a patient that reported no sleep, uh, but in combination you saw mm. more than enough sleep for that day. So digging in. So yeah, that's yeah, my that's introduction fine. of Keith and how we met. But maybe just for you know our our audience, do your own introduction because I can't I can't do it as well as you
2: can. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, okay. Well, uh, hello everyone. My name's Keith Grimes uh i am a general practitioner i am a geek i am a gamer and i am a giant so i'm 4g i'm one, i've got to find the fifth g uh, to be up to this as well um I, a general practitioner or a family practitioner by the sort of u.s parlance i've been that since uh, 2020 uh, nine um, 2000 um and i still do clinical sessions um but i've been a geek way longer than that i've always wanted to be involved in technology and uh um, went to medical school, trying to find my way into it back in 1990, and it's been a long time coming to get to this particular point. Uh, and, and there's still work to do, uh, but I, I love technology, and I love using technology to solve healthcare problems. It's like it's it's the thing that's really driven me all the way through. Opportunities sometimes haven't always been there, um, but there's something spectacular about like the the kind of problem space that healthcare provides. And all the technology, bringing the two together is great. It's a, it, I always describe it, it's a bit like if you like puzzles, like Sudoku or something. And like healthcare is like the, the biggest, fattest book of puzzles you could ever get. Um, right. So uh, yeah, yeah. And I've, um, that, that, that's, my, that's my basic introduction uh, of who I am. Um, I currently Ooh. work, oh yeah, I currently work as clinical, innovation, uh, clinical Digital Health and Innovation Director at Babylon Health. Uh, Babylon Health, London, like uh, London headquartered, but actually our headquarters is now in the cloud, like everyone else. Um, we yeah. operate globally, a uh, uh, telemedicine digital health company operating in the UK and APAC, America, and uh, growing every day. So, yeah, I'm having a nice time of it well, now.
1: <laughs> well, awesome. Um... I don't, know, I don't know where you want to go, Jim. I have like, you know, when, when Keith said the basic introduction, right, there's just so much to unpack there. But, uh, you know, maybe um, we touch on because we actually talked a little bit about that last week, too, the quantified self, right? Um, it started as a movement. And interestingly enough, just weirdly today on LinkedIn, I don't know if you guys know Heal Capital uh, out of Berlin, um, Eckhart Weber is one of the partners. They actually published the whole piece on quantified self, like literally, I think, in the last couple of days. So it just kind of screened. So it's coming into practice, and it's probably no longer called quantified self to a certain extent. But maybe keep just back up your original thinking about using something like the Basis Watch in your regular practice. Like, you yeah. know, what, what took you there?
2: Oh, yeah, know it's interesting and actually when I, I remember when when i met you back in amsterdam and particularly martin as well because martin was very yeah. much into that and i think martin had got um, he'd implanted a small sliver of metal into his finger or something uh i think I'm right me saying, too i think martin oh, did it, yeah, it too yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, well, uh, I, I
1: think martin did it too i have the uh, the rfid chip yeah
2: yeah and then the, and I it, think and the NFC, was, so part of it was rfid but part of it was also being able to develop uh, the ability to be able to sense magnetic fields and uh, electromagnetic oh, yeah. radiation as well. Um I didn't I haven't taken that. Standard. I don't have that one. I don't have that one. No. I'm sorry. But um but but meeting you in that time actually put a, a name to something that I'd been aware of for a while. And I think um the the My Basis watch no longer around. I think they had some problems with the watch actually causing you know burns for people like a second version of it you know it was it was uh, ibm's one of i remember taking it because getting it because it had quite a lot of sensors put on it um yeah. and um when, when i started out in general practice and i wanted to use technology with what i did um when you start out uh, you're always waiting for someone to say what you can and can't do and then as time goes on you realize that that's not coming and you get more confident and you actually start to you know, within the bounds of what's appropriate and safe, like start using the things around you. And just because I was into technology, I'd do the same. I'd have all these other gadgets and try and find it. I think initially it was mostly things like building uh, wikis for information and, and, and so on, and practice websites and, and trying to build apps. Um, but when it came to the watches, I remember uh, one of the things I was interested in with my basis watches. they actually track things like skin temperature, if I remember rightly, yeah. uh, skin, skin resistivity. So it could give you a kind of stress metric. Had quite a nice platform, but it also tracked sleep. That was the thing that I was interested in. And um, in this particular, and I remember the patient very well. He's he's the poor gentleman's passed on now, but he uh, he gave me his golf umbrella as a present that I still mm. use his golf umbrella. Um, anyway, he um, just very briefly, this man's story was that um, he he was a palliative care patient. Uh, he had cancer and he was um, um, uh, he was in the sort of final stages of his illness and he was requiring pain relief um, to help with his pain, um, and sleeping medications. Um, and that's absolutely fine, you know, in that particular phase, but if you use too high a dose, it can come with yep. problems yep. and make people unsteady. And he wasn't sleeping at night and he was asking for more and more medicine. Uh, and I actually had this device and I spoke to him and said, well, shall should we try it? Shall we, have, shall we see what your sleep's like? And then we can come back and talk about it. And, uh, and work that. And I went to his house, put the watch on, went away, and then came back the next day. And we looked at the data together. What was really interesting about it is that uh, I asked him what his night had been like. And he said, Oh, it was quite broken. I was up at 2 a.m. and then 4 a.m. And, and, you know, and, and and I, you know, I'm still not sleeping very well. And it's causing me worry because I want to be able to get some sleep. But I was able to show him the overnight passage, and it had a couple of breaks in his sleep. But it also showed that through the day, He had been napping quite a lot. Now that's fine. He was an older man with, with, you know, with with quite serious health problems. But what I was able to do is say, well, look, there's only a finite amount of sleep that a person's really going to need throughout a day. And if you're if you're having this through the day, you're going to be less likely to need it at night. That you're not sleeping at night, in and of itself, isn't a bad thing. Like I know it's you know you may not like it, it's not a bad thing. But actually, that was enough for him to settle him to realize that he was getting enough sleep. I mean. You know, right. but, but it stopped him escalating that dose of medicine, which in turn, I believe, like may have contributed towards him safely staying at home for longer. Um, right. And it was just it was something just as simple as me being able to use that to make a difference for this patient that convinced me that that the quantified, you know, what quantified self movement had done tools that it was beginning to give to consumers absolutely right. had a role to play to help people.
0: It, it just just building off of that, Keith, and you just came out of a meeting with the, the folks, the folks from Health Excel. It, when you think when you met Eugene ten years ago, and as a primary care physician or trained as that, like where are they right now? Like I feel like, like you know, when I visit my parents in Florida, like I'm based in Dublin, but I visit my parents in Florida. They say, oh, you know, old people don't adopt technology, but I just see technology everywhere in their lives, you know, managing their health, even though they're not very technically. Where's the primary care physician right now in terms of adopting some of these things, like even practical versus 10 years ago?
2: So uh, in terms of wearable devices, they're still quite a long way off. uh, what's happened, so I'll talk about the UK perspective and then maybe reflect on what's happening in different places. But in the UK, uh, like every other country in the world affected by the pandemic, um, there was a sudden need to see people remotely. Um, and that principally manifests as people having video consultations or remote consultations and moving towards a kind of total triage model to minimize the number of people that you saw face to face, only those that really needed to be seen. So that's fine. That's gone through. And in fact, telemedicine is well adopted. We're actually having a bit of a pushback right now in the UK because people like clinicians feel like they want to be able to physically see the patient, but demand is very high. And there's a there's a suggestion that they, they worry that digital has opened the floodgates, which I don't think is true. That aside, um, along the way, there was also the need to be able to monitor people remotely as well, particularly with COVID. And so there was uh relatively substantial uptake of the use of oxygen saturation monitors at home. you're celebrating here in the background. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is, it, uh, is this We're, the- Yeah, this, the this is
1: mentioned? the C-19, technically C-19 free zone, but you know, I think yeah. we yeah. kind of oh, gave up know. on this.
2: Oh, All right, me. well, look, that yeah, it, this, this uh, <laughs> I'll try and avoid referring to that, but what it did do uh, is that it built some experience about uh, safely monitoring people remotely. Um, and so uh, general practitioners in the UK um, are associated with their local health commissioners have been distributing oxygen saturation monitors to help facilitate people staying at home. Um, and I think that has been um, more widely adopted. It's still not entirely common, but it is more widely adopted. That said, I think the reason that people adopted it is because these are oxygen saturation monitors. These are medical devices, and therefore we're giving people medical devices. Right. Um right. We're not seeing the same amount of faith placed in wearable devices like your Apple Watch or other smart watches that have oxygen saturation monitors built into them. Now, why should they? They're not medical devices right now. So there's maybe some, you know, question about whether you know they're as accurate as, as the medical ones as well. But um, I don't think that the general practice in the UK is 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 stepping into this. Like beyond what they absolutely have to do right now, I think some barriers have come down through positive experience. Um, the AliveCor device is the other uh, another really good example of a device that's actually quite widely used in some places here in the UK. They, I've had some. They just benefit. they just
1: acquired a service company, right? Cardio. Literally, I just saw this earlier. I so, think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh right. Okay. Well, so congrats to
1: to the team there. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, if I, it's Dave Albert, isn't it? The yeah, you know, the, the the genial so, genius.
0: So, so the GP, so when you think about it, like, you know, like if you were practicing in there, you would be, you know, trying to get people on, you know, step counts and other monitoring and sleep tracking. And that that would give you kind of an insight, like you had, and that that fellow, you were able to say, you're sleeping enough during the day, let's lower the anxiety here. Let's not step you up medically. Um, but they're not, you know, so COVID, you know, blood ox, you know, pulse ox, whatever, um, uh tracking tele you know telemedicine there but not gels like are some people
2: are no no, i'm not observing that i mean there are some there are some areas where people it it, in some ways it hasn't moved on that much uh there's a lot of things that have to land to motivate people to make a change in this one it's not just about having the devices out there like consumer devices let's say consumer device gets medically certified that is not going to be enough it then has to uh speak with the electronic health records or the systems that the GPs use. In the UK, we've essentially got a duopoly of those between EMIS and system system one. Um, yeah. I don't I think they do some integration of some data just now, but it's right. not there. Right. Then they have to be paid to do it. Then they have to feel that they're adequately trained to interpret it. Then they're going to ask to see that there's medical evidence that this particular metric that's being reported using this particular device for this particular condition makes a difference in outcomes. So there's still quite a lot in the way of widespread adoptions uh, right. and some of it i think is unreasonable um because we could be making a difference right now for people
0: right and if you look at what's going on in in you know, all the enthusiasm around digital health you know largely what you talked about before this adoption it's like it feels like people are betting on that adoption really hmm. shifting, right like like people are saying like if they feel like they're betting it on shifting over the next 24 or 36 months and it's not like 10 years from now you know
2: yeah, well, I think I, I think um, I think it's a. I mean, I'm obviously going to say this, but I think it's a reasonable bet to be betting on parts of that. There are there are some. Uh, that, actually, what's kind of happening? It's not so much that consumer devices are getting better, but it's like the medical devices are getting cheaper and more capable as well. And I think that's probably the bit that's going to crack it. So when you look right. at uh, a good example is diabetes, and uh, you look at companies CGMs, like, right? Yeah, CGMs and, and, and all that kind of thing, like an integrated device. Uh, particularly for patient acceptance, if a healthcare professional says, "You know, I'm your healthcare professional, and to help with your care, I want you to use this," they, they kind of give a box or whatever it is, a lot more trust in that. Generally, the reason the clinician is doing that is it's integrated with their system as well, and then you get this kind of virtuous cycle where the clinician trusts it, the patient therefore trusts it, they collect the data, the right. healthcare professional then trusts in the data, and 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 so on and so forth. So when 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 you close that loop then yes, I think it's right to be betting on that. Um, and, and diabetes is a classic example, but hypertension, another area as well. We're looking at people doing similar things for sleep disorders, obstructive sleep apnea. Um, you know, those those are the, the kind of the, the tip of the wedge.
1: Do you ever see, I mean, um, you know, obviously a lot of these, you mentioned like the Abbott, right? I actually just reordered now that I'm here in US again, the Levels Health, right? Which integrates the mm. Abbott device, uh, but it's for metabolic health. This is not a treatment. This is more for, Understood, you know, yeah. not that I'm an athlete, but I, I, I think a lot of these, to your point, it's an actually interesting statement, right? The medical devices are getting smaller, probably more affordable, yet it's still not there. Um, and do you ever see though that, I don't know, just, I mean, we're geeks, right? Uh, to a certain extent, and we're looking at this space. But do you see that the general population will be using in the preventative mode a lot of these sensors, devices, and all of that? I I don't know. I'm, I'm I, well, I I would love to see it, but I'm 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 a bit skeptical still on it.
2: Yeah. Well, I think um I mean we've we I, I've used the um ABBA, the Freestyle Libre myself, and yeah. we talked about this. I gave it a go, and I, I know, found it right. I, I found it incredible. Um, yeah. I am. For, you know, fortunately, I am not diabetic. I don't have diabetes. I'm not pre-diabetic. I am metabolically set up to it. You know, I've got fatty liver. I come from a family that that does this. So you know, uh, but but I found it incredible being able to become aware of things that were were I was not aware of before. And I used it for a couple of weeks, and I sort of focused on the impact that food had on my. my my glucose levels uh, and learned some rather surprising things in particular about what breakfast cereal does to your blood sugar. That's for sure. Uh, And then the second thing is the impact that fat did on tubs of absorption. I remember that being really interesting, like the difference between, you know, having a lot of butter or cream on a scone versus a scone on its own, all those kind of things that I'm sure patients who have diabetes understand well. Um, Anyway, off the back of that, um, I think that I I say to anyone that will (laughs) listen to me about this, uh, the advent of consumer devices, which will track your blood glucose in some way, will make step counts seem like absolutely nothing. It was absolutely going to transform things, is my feeling. In part because of the impact that short period of time with the device had on me and the things that I did afterwards. And I can't say that happened with step counts. Um, right. And I've seen that happen to more than one person as well. So so I think I think blood glucose is going to be a big thing. Uh, when I speak to some people about it, they also say it'll also be the opportunity that people start divesting themselves of cereal producing shares uh, and things like that, because and people you, will all, right. all of a sudden become aware of stuff.
0: Did you maintain the freestyle Library or did you just use it to kind of understand and then and then back away from it?
2: Um, I uh, I used it a couple of times. I used it for about a month in total, and I haven't used it again since. In part, just because I'd have to shell out a certain amount of money to get it, and it wasn't at the top of my mind right now. Um, I I remember I remember doing it for a period of time, then then making some changes to my diet and seeing the impact that it made. Um, and then I got some tantalizing in, insights into how my activity, the type of activity that I did translated to what my blood glucose was like of subsequent days like for example um if i went out and did like a long walk
1: it would you
2: know but if i went out and did some high intensity exercise even a short period that actually reduced things for a couple of days yeah well no no well but 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 the i mean there were some changes around about the time but but the couple of days afterwards my profile was better um and i think actually actually what you just said there's also interesting that there's there's gonna be a lot of personal variation, isn't there? yeah So we're gonna have we're gonna to have to work with people to try and help them understand because otherwise they're gonna get this flood of data. I'll, no idea.
1: I'll report back next Wednesday. Hopefully, my levels kit arrives in the next couple of days, what this does to me. So uh live, live on this recording next week. But
0: but isn't that the you know, you guys are big long-term quantified self guys? Isn't that the like the little bit the curse of the quantified self? You know, meaning that like you get the data, you get the insight. You know, you figure out what ten thousand steps is. You figure out what you and then you abandon the technique that gave you the insight. So, so that the business model of the person providing you the services support doesn't isn't maintained. You're, you know, so it's like, isn't that the curse a bit?
1: But I'll tell you, and this is why my my two cents on it, Keith. But I, you know, I'd love it. Um, I think Levels Health, uh, as an example, they also have human beings. Uh, around it right Mm. because to me the technology itself whatever this is right we can quantify the heck out of it you kind of know what your body does but at the end of this is about behavior change and Mm. you know personally when i got the cgm originally i was racing myself i was accountable to this little device right i was not accountable to marina my health coach i was not (laughs) but i was accountable to this device but as soon as that came off i'm like oh nobody's watching me right and nobody's still me so Thanks. I think, again, what are, the, what are the triggers? And this is why we've seen actually a lot of the services surrounding themselves with health coaches um, and other you know, behavior change agents. Um, and this actually gets me a little bit, Keith, into the discussion because you know we've, we've, we've seen sort of switching gears a little bit on chatbots, right? Like we've seen for many years, chatbots, chatbots, bot, chat chatbots. You kind of don't even hear about that anymore, right? Um, and if I even look at Babylon, in U.S., for example, you you, you know companies acquiring uh, practices, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll say, the the supply side of people that can help you outside of the tech, right? Yeah. Um, so I, a lot of a lot said, but let's just talk about technology versus slash with humanity, right? And human beings yeah. helping you.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think the truth of it is there's still a way to go. You know, I, I think if a person turned around and thought, if you think that a chatbot will replace the entirety of what a human healthcare provider can do, uh, then you're going to be proved wrong very quickly. And that's that's as true for the best chatbots as different chatbots around the way, because because the healthcare and 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 wellness, the sort of you know the health and wellness side of things. Um, requires a lot of different activities and a chatbot is essentially that sort of conversational interface in front of a particular automated tool so that automated tool could be a symptom checker for example and uh, you know symptom checkers perform an important function in terms of triage indicating where a person needs to go uh, and maybe giving them some information about what the cause of the symptoms might be but that's actually just one one part of a person's Mm -hmm. care you know why doctors when we, you know, people talk about symptom checkers and they're saying, oh, they're going to replace the doctors. Doctors will, and nurses will chuckle because they realize that just the diagnosis part is kind of in some ways almost the smallest part uh, of, of what they do right. or the triage part is just the smallest part. Um, like many things, you know, people get very excited about the potential of what's happening, but then the reality of exactly what we can do is they can do fantastic things, but in certain narrow areas. Um, people then, their eye shifts to the next magic bullet, whatever that might be. But what's happening for companies like Babylon and other providers as well is that you're slowly building out this toolkit. And this toolkit right. is starting to do more and more. Uh, and and the interfaces are becoming a little bit more sensitive as to which tool to use at which time. Mm-hmm. And people are becoming more comfortable with using it. It's being more integrated with the services as well. So it, it's it's just going to take some time. And in the meantime... Uh, you want to be able to make sure that you're providing care for, for patients. Care for patients requires, you know, human faces for the most part.
0: It, it, the chatbot's interesting because I, I, I think about this idea of like automated reply, you know, automatic reply, and when do I interact with that? And, and and it's like, you know, we've had this whole kind of audio, you know, like I you know I talk to my Alexa, I get information back out of it. I could very easily get health information, you know, mm-hmm. I could ask simple questions. And Alexa has earned its place in my home because maybe it gives us news or the weather or some music, and and then as a result or, or of it,
1: the walk in uh, Jim Joyce song before you arrive into the house. That's right. Yeah, welcome yeah, every home. Every night,
0: yeah, every night I I have it play entrance music as I enter my house. So that's my the essential infrastructure that applies in my
1: in my house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I think, I think um, the, the, the thing about uh, speech interfaces or digital voice assistants is that um, I think the experience that we've had, um, and also a lot of people are having, is that people don't want long conversations with a digital voice assistant, uh, because um, a digital voice assistant casts a spell uh, that allows you to get so far. As in, I can cognitively deal with having a halting conversation at loud volume with a device for a <laughs> short period of time to get a, like, change a radio station, turn the light on right. or off and all like that but but that breaks down pretty quickly when you're having a kind of question I answer.
0: said Fleetwood Mac yeah
2: yeah exactly yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly so um, yep. so I think people you know whilst you can technically build an interface using a digital voice assistant um it's kind of this current setup is difficult to, to navigate so people won't use it for that but they'll use it as right. timers and food like I, I use mine for like the radio or converting right. weights for recipes and stuff like that, you know.
0: Right, right. But yeah, so so I mean, it's kind of interesting how like those things, like that chatbot idea of kind of like having, or you know, you go on, you know, like the way Google into you know interjects it in, you know, your text communication, or they're kind of just dealing with it, or scheduling, or you know, you know, the kind of map interfaces. And then it's almost like sneaking it in, you know. So it feels like almost like chatbot's place might not be in a healthcare application, but might be in your general, you know, the general infrastructure of how you're interacting with it. You know, like it's kind of. Um, you know, kind of seamlessly working away or something like that. Like,
2: it's, like, yeah. it's like any of the any of these uh, communication modalities. You know, it's not all or nothing. It's the right one at the right time. And yep. so sometimes yep. the voice interface is going to be useful. Sometimes using, like, being able to type and send messages the use thing. I mean, I, I always use the example is that um, chatbots are fantastic for sexual health because people really hate saying things that are personal out loud. So a chatbot where you write your sexual health thing, Absolutely fine. Can you imagine having that conversation out loud in your kitchen with Alexa, shouting what you've been up to? You know, it wouldn't right. work. So, <laughs> different different modalities <laughs> for different things. You know, you <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, all kinds of bad jokes kind of came yeah. to the top of my head that I won't get on here. But the um, I don't want to upgrade our YouTube listing. We're, we're, I, mean, I was
1: going to say we are staying PG on this one; <laughs> otherwise, we would need. to. But, work, okay, so, so
0: so you're a you're a GP, and then you're a gamer, right? You said you're a gamer, and you're in. Yeah, yeah, right?
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so talk to us about that. Like, how's how are you applying that?
2: So I mean, being a gamer is just uh, you know, it's like I play, enjoy board games. I enjoy computer games. I've enjoyed them all my life. Uh, I'm now just essentially unapologetic about it because it was never a thing that you would really talk about it. And the fact is that it's not that the geeks will inherit the earth. They won. Like, we have won. We've won. Like, everyone plays plays computer games. Everyone plays board games. It happens. Um, Anyhow, still do it, still love it. And, you know, it's part of something that I do to maintain my wellness and got me out of depression in the past, all these things. But the good thing about games is that they're... um, they introduce you to excellent technology for a start, um, and so for a person that's interested in technology, games in particular kind of push the boundaries. They push the boundaries of what's possible with graphics and sound and narrative and story, storytelling, realisation of space, um, devices as well. And so I've got my VR headset uh, just there as well. And that was actually it was it was my interest in VR, which was peaked in the early '90s. VR was It wasn't very first, but it was big for the first time and disappointing for the first time. Went away. And then when it came back and it was much better, you know, in the early uh, sort of teens, about 2012 or so on, um, I invested in that very, very rapidly. But because I wanted to play games with it, you know, I I just wanted to do that sort of thing. But I rapidly realized that VR had a place um, in healthcare. and and it was it was in my own practice that I was able to in the same way that I did with my patient with the watch, uh, I was able to speak with my patients and and look at how we could use VR to help them with some of the problems that they had and 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 in the case for me it was uh, using virtual reality for reduction of pain in patients was 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 really eye-opening. Um, and also
1: for injections. Yeah. I remember you were telling me something about either drawing blood or injections, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, where people just are much more calm. And I remember, I mean, those were some of the initial use cases. I remember mm. visiting Brennan Spiegel, which I think they're trying to... Uh, yeah,
2: they're the trying VR to get that back up and running. In, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the, the, the but, physical conference. They have a... Yeah. Brennan Spiegel is a gastroenterologist and technologist working at Cedars-Sinai. Um, recently written his book, uh, VR x which is a phenomenal and a good tour of the area for those who want to read up afterwards anyway he started this virtual uh, medicine conference uh in la back uh this last year would have been year four so a few years back and i was I across and spoke at it a couple of times so it was very very fortunate to be there um but anyway um uh, that which will not be named got away uh and uh, i think he's trying to get it up and running again for a face-to-face next year um, no. But you're right. Yes, he's been using it for treatment of acute pain for his patients, and and I used it for patients that were anxious about having practical procedures like blood tests or joint injections, things that I would do with my own practice. But but the thing that was the most uh, impact was people who had assistance with wound care, uh, either burns or surgical care when you when you painful. Um, and and there's a lot of good evidence of using VR for burns patients, of course. Um, but, uh, but burns patients are a slightly special case because you can potentially use very strong analgesia. When you're working in primary care, you don't really get that chance. People coming in and out very quickly. So something you can deploy fast. And that's exactly what I did. And it, and it transformed the experience of patients that were using it You know, for the most where, part.
0: Where is VR at right now? I mean, do you guys know where is VR at? Is, it, yeah. is money being thrown into it? Is there a tech I don't, I'm not aware of that's transforming?
2: Yeah, I mean, th- th- that statement in and of itself is telling. I-, I-, I think, you know, the evidence, like the use cases for virtual reality um, and-, and extended reality more broadly, I think, are there. Um, the evidence base is increasingly there. Um, but um, the funding for it isn't there right now. You know, the way people can get reimbursed for the use of it isn't clearly there at the moment. So you know, we saw a transformation for telehealth, particularly in the US, with the changing of reimbursement for that, you know, drove the uptake, that's fine. You need something like that, I think, for virtual reality. And how you get to that, well, you know, that's the um, I, I think, question. I don't know.
1: <laughs> maybe I'll just add to that, right? Because I think uh, probably in the last month, month and a half or so, um, Applied VR, which I know they started more as a platform for mm. you know other players, now focused on pain. I think they raised 29 to 30 million, something like that. Um, I know I just met with Chavi uh, from Sias. They're right here in oh, Barcelona. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so lots of, you know, I'll say phobia reductions and pain. Um, and there's, to your point, there's a lot of evidence coming and um, they're they're hitting the, um, you know, the psychiatry uh, and psych- psychology market, right? And so they're very much of a long tail. And interestingly enough, I think as people did go remote, quite a bit, um, you know, that I think helped um, some of those use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, the one that I'm interested in because I just finished talking about the, the digital therapeutic. I mean, I actually do look from a neurodegenerative component, you know, the, the stimulation through VR can actually be almost like a drug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's a spectrum of things on, is it in the office or at home? Because not everybody has it at home. Um, is it for, um, you know, pain management or particular therapeutic area and where the use cases, I think there's some flying high and some just sort of died out. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and there's actually, I mean, I, I want to mention, um, uh, Sarah Tycho and, um, uh, um, Ross O'Brien uh, in the UK, there's a, a publication called the growing value of XR in healthcare that I'd commend people to read because there's a number of different reasons for it. This is about growing the healthcare XR market and economy in the UK as well. Uh, And um, the first thing to say is that it's got as many use cases and case studies as you like. So if you want to learn about the breadth of what can be achieved with XR, extended reality, just for those who don't know, is virtual reality, that fully immersive side of things, augmented reality, where things are laid on top of it, and mixed reality, where the it all interacts. So XR um, is this great report, loads of case studies in there about successes, small-scale successes that are growing in the UK and internationally that you can look at. And they make three recommendations at the end of it. The first is that they want to map out um, XR in healthcare in the UK. They want to try and get a good view of what's going on. And then establish centers of excellence. So standardizing research and development, developing playbooks, looking at testing, regulatory safety, uh, procurement, distribution, and reimbursement, all of that work being done collectively to try and help give everyone a foot up because there's often quite small players in this particular area. And then really excitingly connecting the XR industry, which is growing, those people working in gaming and creative spaces and healthcare. And it's one of the reasons that I really love XR and VR is because you bring in the creatives. And the world of creatives and artists have so much to give for this as well. is an interesting one, because it's also got problems in that you have devices. You <laughs> Eugene's just been attacked by some- yeah, yeah,
1: that's the beauty of being back in the New Jersey garage. There was like this huge, I don't know I what
0: just, I that just was. sent in nice. an extended reality bug. I, I know, was gonna say
1: to maybe that. that's what <laughs>
2: that's it. Yeah, Eugene, neither of us saw anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, so coming back to it, you know, for for delivering it, actually, you need three things: you need, you need the hardware, you need the software, and you need the content. So, for a digital therapeutic with XR, you need those three things to be working. Uh, hardware devices that are, you know, do you need a medical medically certified? device to be able to deliver this or not yes yeah, so the software software is a medical device we know that's an interesting area but then of course you've got the content the reality that you're creating is separate to the software thing as well so to get it working requires a few balls to be juggled yeah right but it's worth it because interesting stuff happening
0: it it also feels like like we had Frederick on from My Sugar, um, you know he talked about the sloth the sloth whatever you say like that you know no, never underestimate the fundamental laziness in people you know in time you know it's kind of adopting things at scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a summarized version of what he said, but like you know the <laughs> you know the deadly sins I think he described it that you know this idea because I I think about augmented reality like some of the experience sorry virtual reality augmented reality. Every experience I've had from some intelligent application, or we've even tried it at Health Beacon here, it's just blown my, blown me away. Like, it's just phenomenal. But I undoubtedly get stuck in the scaling, the hardware, the, the, the kind of the, you know, how do you wire it in in a way that works yeah. reliably and consistently and, you know, can onboard people maybe that aren't as convinced as me, you know.
2: There's, um, I mean, there, there have been some successes. So a friend of mine, Farhan Armin, who's a general practitioner in the north, uh, west of England, um, has a company um, that um, produces uh, pulmonary rehabilitation in virtual reality, it's called PR and VR. Um, and it allows people to do pulmonary rehab in their own homes, uh, pulmonary rehab is physical therapy for your lungs essentially that has a really evidence base showing it reduces hospital admissions? In fact, it's pretty much the only intervention that reduces hospital admissions. Forget your drugs, anything else. Pomeroy yeah. has the way to go for COPD. Of course, we've wow. got people with COVID. Well, sorry, but you know, that too. Anyway, um, but there's long waiting lists often. And it's difficult for people with COPD to travel to the place to get the rehab. And what Farhan has shown with his product is that you can deliver as effective pulmonary rehab to people using VR. They put the headset on and they follow this and they track it and it can be adjusted according to oxygen saturations. So far, so good. And you think, well, yes, but these are people that aren't going to use it. Well, that's not true. He's found a way of just posting the kit out. It's got an integrated uh, network card. It's already configured people just power it up and turn it on and they'll do it. And these are people that are typically not expected to be technology users. This is being paid for in commissioning groups here in the United Kingdom in more than one place. Uh, But it has been an uphill struggle for him. I know that much. And uh, he has to fight that fight every single time. That's hard. So we need, we need to work to make this easier, but it can be done. Right.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And in, in the good, in the gaming, like are you applying gaming right now? Like you sound like you are like i i heard something interesting Someone was talking about this people mistaking gamification for proper games or something like that or, or you know do you yeah. get on those subjects
2: yeah you know I, I know what you mean like game of you know, to me computer games the behavioral modification through the use of rewards right uh, is i think what people are talking about uh when they're talking about gamification you know uh, because, and you can have narrative added in there as well as a sort of uh, measure. So there are some aspects that are the same as games, but but principally when people talk about gamification, they're talking about some way a person can quantify their activity. So we're back to the quantified self. Uh, yep. And then attach it to some sort of arbitrary, interesting reward. Uh, and it could be you know cash money, or it could be just a new color on your screen. Uh, and then attach the two. Uh, and then uh, find a way to link the desired activity to that particular reward. Um, and then there are other methods that are used along the way to try and optimize how often you get the rewards and so on so so that's that's what we're okay. talking about and actually it has it has a really important part to play in assisting positive behavioral modification for the purposes of you know if the person's bought into it as well um, to help them, lose weight, maintain healthy you know, uh healthy lifestyle changes, adhere with medicational therapies as well. I think it has an important role to play. Uh, okay. But equally it has to be used with care because it can be very effective. But it you know you want to use it appropriately and ethically and with consent. Um, right. uh, you don't want to have the healthcare equivalent of loot boxes, um, you know, where people are motivated in some way. So care, care has to be uh, taken In employing it, but this is something that we, you know, Babylon and other people are doing as well as taking care over how you apply it. You need to make sure you work with behavioral scientists and and so on. An interesting area, yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm, I'm usually the guy, right? Um, And I don't know, Jim, if you uh, we can keep unpacking, but I think um, I don't keep. Yeah, go for your famous question, man.
0: Yeah. Well, no, this is definitely so. So, Keith, imagine yourself as a young. Primary care physician that wants to give up medicine and start his own uh, digital healthcare company, you've got a big XR or VR or gaming health idea. What would be the advice that you would give that aspiring medic turned entrepreneur?
2: <laughs> learn product. Uh, it'd be the, um, like, <laughs> like um, you know, like a lot of people will say, I'll oh, learn how to code or learn how to, no, no, understand product design and development and delivery, understand that bit uh because that's the bit that if you are as a clinician you're the sort of subject matter expert you understand the problem uh and you have an idea what the solution is no you don't product teaches you how to work out uh, the solution and and deliver it in in slices that work now i I've, I've i've learned a lot being at babylon i was a, you know that's the big change of my life since i left general practice and the things that i've learned are mostly down to working with like Amazing people that I wouldn't otherwise have met, like, you know, behavioral scientists, user, user researchers, data scientists, engineers, all that lot. But product, um, the the, the way that you can step towards a solution to a a problem um, has been has been one of the really foundational things. So I would say to that person, learn your product uh, and that will get you a long way. You can kind of partner up with everyone else, but learn your product.
1: Fantastic. And then you pull in all these brilliant people to actually build the product, right?
2: So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, I mean, and, and that's not to say that uh, you can't have fantastic clinician coders and you, are, yeah, that's fine. My own experience is that if you understand that bit, it takes you a lot further than the rest. Awesome. Well, on that note, thank
1: you for joining us. Cheerios. Uh, and to the millions of people, keep subscribing to the YouTube and our podcast.
2: Like, and subscribe.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Keith. Thanks.